May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to let you all in on a not-so-secret secret. I am afraid of heights. I mean, really, really, really afraid of heights. For as long as I can remember when I find myself looking out of a window of a tall building, traveling along a mountain road, walking across an elevated bridge, sitting on an upper-level seat in a sporting event, or even standing on one of the top rungs of a ladder. I can feel my palms start to sweat, my stomach churn, my heart race, and I experience an overwhelmingly panicky feeling that usually brings me close to tears and fighting the urge to get far away as fast as I can. Despite this, over the years, whenever I have faced a situation that I know will test my fear of heights, I have made a concerted effort to take part in the activity or opportunity rather than choosing to opt out and avoid what I know will challenge my fear. I do this because I am determined that my fear won't keep me from experiencing something that has the potential of being special. This has meant that I have driven through the twisting elevated roads at Yosemite, Yellowstone, and Rocky Mountain National Parks. Each and every time someone visited me when I lived in New York, I would go to the highest floors of the Empire State Building and the World Trade Center with them. I've walked across the Brooklyn Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge. I've taken a turn high above the Thames River in a glass-encased pod on the giant London Eye Ferris wheel, and I've even ridden in a hot air balloon over Bowling Green. All of these events gave me a chance to see amazing things to be inspired by great beauty and technology, and to share these experiences with other people. What frustrated me, however, is that I can't say that I truly enjoyed any of these experiences in the moment. No matter how hard I tried to calm my panic and steady my churning stomach and dry my sweaty palms, the all-consuming desire to get away and the nervous impatience to get back on the ground again drowned out everything else. And each time I would get down from the high place, I was so disappointed that yet again my fear of heights held such power over what I was able to experience. Something was different, however, a few years ago when my niece Audrey and I took a trip together to New York City. This was her first time in the city and I was excited to plan the details of our trip. I knew that one of the things that Audrey would want to do would be to see the city from the top of one of the famous skyscrapers. So our itinerary for the morning of our first day included going to the top of the rock, the open air observation deck on the 70th floor of the building at Rockefeller Plaza. For weeks leading up to our trip, I would go to the top of the rock website just about every day to look at all the photos and imagine myself being there trying to prepare myself for the event. I'm pretty sure I arranged for this to be the first thing that we could do so that I could get this unpleasant activity out of the way and move on to something more fun, closer to the ground. It was a sunny, cold January morning when we took the elevator to the observation deck, and as we walked to the glass doors that led outside, 
I braced for the inevitable anxiety and distress that was to come. Once we were outside, to my very great surprise, I felt none of the nervous sensations that had become familiar with being somewhere very high. Instead of sweaty palms and a racing heart, I only felt joyful exhilaration as I looked out in every direction for miles. Instead of nervously counting the seconds until Audrey was ready to take the elevator back down again, we took selfies together and walked around the entire observation deck with the wind in our faces and the sun shining down. And it might have been Audrey who was the one who suggested that we finally should leave and go down. I can still vividly remember how incredible it was to find in a situation I was certainly certain only offered unpleasant anxiety that I instead experienced not only the absence of fear, but also the presence of great delight and wonder. Now, I don't know if it's because I struggle so much with trying to overcome this identifiably, this easily identifiable fear that fears and fearfulness particularly get my attention. But I do know that as I was reading N.T. Wright's book, Following Jesus, several years ago, the following passage brought me up short, and I have thought about it often since. What instruction, what order is given again and again by God, by angels, by Jesus, by prophets and apostles? What do you think? Be good, be holy as I am holy, or negatively, don't sin, don't be immoral. No, the most frequent command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I discovered later from other sources that by some counts, this command, don't be afraid, appears in the Bible as many times as there are days of the year. When we pay attention to just how many times this message of don't be afraid is repeated throughout scripture, we can't ignore that this is something vitally important, something that we are being constantly challenged to do. But what does it mean to follow this instruction? What does it actually look like to fear not? Can we always identify what it is that we fear? Is it as simple as deciding not to be afraid? For starters, you might be able to put a name on it if you, like I do, have some specific fear that you know limits you or causes you anxiety. But these holy instructions to fear not often seem to be caution, cautioning against other types of fear. In our reading from Genesis this morning, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision, and the very first thing said is, do not be afraid. Before Abram is told that he will be protected and rewarded and will have descendants as numerous as the stars. From how Abram responds to the Lord's initial words, it sounds like he is afraid to even consider that what he is being told could possibly come to pass. He's gone too many years hoping for a child who could be his heir, and over time he has become disappointed and hopeless. Hopeless that he will have any descendants, 
much less an infinite number of them. In the words of Psalm 27, the psalmist expresses a lot of bluster and confidence, but he also seems to be working to remind himself again and again to let go of his fear and trust in the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? My guess is that if asked, the psalmist could provide a long list of specific people and situations he has in mind causing him fear. The psalm is filled with references to adversaries, evildoers, war, trouble, and abandonment. The psalmist does not speak of a single person, not even his father or mother as a supporter or a friend. This fear is in the form of suspicion and distrust of everyone and overwhelming distress about the dangers the psalmist sees everywhere. We also see fear when the Pharisees come to warn Jesus that Herod wants to kill him. This is a real threat. Herod has already had John the Baptist killed and Jesus through his very public teaching and healing has put his own safety at risk. These Pharisees encouraged Jesus to run away out of the reach of the powerful ruler to keep himself safe. And although Jesus' words express confidence and courage as he makes it clear that he will not stop his work because of this threat, he cannot be unaware of the seriousness of the danger he personally faces. Despite the presence of fear and anxiety running throughout all of these readings, I think we get excellent, possibly surprising, and potentially disappointing examples of what it looks like to follow God's instructions to fear not. We might prefer for Abram to be sure and certain from the moment the word of the Lord comes to him, confident, without a doubt at all, and hope that someday we too can achieve a similarly unwavering confidence. We might desire for the psalmist to speak only of the Lord's light and strength and salvation. As we look for the day that all of our suspicion, worry, and distrust disappears. And when Jesus says to the Pharisees, tell that fox Herod, he is going to keep on casting out demons and performing cures. We might prefer that Jesus then talk about himself as a bear or mountain lion who will vanquish the fox, rather than describing the protection he offers as being that of a hen gathering her brood under her wings and referencing his coming crucifixion as he journeys to Jerusalem. These are not examples of people simply deciding not to be afraid and their fears disappearing. But we do see how people challenged by real fears and worries can respond faithfully to God, even in the midst of their fears. What does this mean for each of us? Remembering how many times that God, angels, Jesus, prophets, and apostles urge us to fear not, I'd argue that this is essential for us to consider. 
We all struggle with our own fears of disappointment, hopelessness, self-protection, and suspicion. And we are all too aware of the enormity of poverty, war, and division in our communities and in the greater world. But there is work that we have been given to do. And this work often cannot be done if we forget our instructions to fear not and instead choose to opt out of situations that challenge these fears. As Christians, we are not called to live timid lives. In the book, Following Jesus in a Culture of Fear, author Scott Bader Say writes, instead of being courageous, we are content to be safe. We fear excessively when we allow the avoidance of evil to trump the pursuit of the good. Our overwhelming fears need themselves to be overwhelmed by bigger and better things. Our overwhelming fears being overwhelmed by bigger and better things. This to me sounds like what it can look like when we follow God's instruction to fear not and trust in God's presence and promise. Instead of avoiding evil, we pursue the good. The bigger and the better things that can be found even when fear is present. And when we pursue the good promised by God, we might just be surprised when our fears that have seemed so powerful, so inescapable, are overwhelmed by joy and wonder and delight. Do not be afraid. <laughs>